Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have Kayla Redden with us today. Um, She is my SLP bestie, um, but she's also an amazing school-based speech-language pathologist, currently working um, as her sixth year in a rural preschool and elementary setting. Uh, She also serves as the secretary of the Kentucky Speech and Language Hearing Association and has participated in Kisha's ICANN Advocacy Network, where she learned how to advocate for herself, her students, and other SLPs. This is definitely a topic that I'd love to chat with Kayla about, all things advocacy, Um, but today we are focusing on um, some articulation strategies Um, And if you're wanting to find out more about Kayla, we'll talk about this more at the end. Um, But she also is, um, she creates materials for elementary age students on her Teachers Pay Teachers store, um, which is called Kayla SLP. And she also blogs about therapy tips at KaylaSLP.com. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation. Um, But before we get into all of the practical tips and tricks, um, Kayla, first of all, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here. Um, And then I also would love to hear a little bit about your experience as an SLP in general and how you started or how you got started with this service delivery model for articulation. So I started working as a preschool and elementary SLP about six years ago. Um, I've worked with preschool through high school, but the last few years I really zoned into the younger students. Um, And something that has always bothered me about articulation therapy is that we so often gravitate towards the, you know, two times a week, 30 minutes a session, and it just kind of fits into our schedule. And that's what we're so used to doing. Um, but I wasn't seeing the progress that I really wanted to see with my students and especially some of these younger students with such short attention spans. Um, I was hearing some other students, I'm sorry, some other SLPs talk about five minute speech and I wasn't entirely sure what that was. Um, so I did some Googling. I talked to some other speech therapists and I found out that it's a type of service delivery model. Now, You can buy a specific product. They have Speedy Speech and 5-Minute Kids that lay out the whole program for you, but you do not really have to have that necessarily to implement this program. Um, I started thinking about my own students and some of the difficulties I was facing, like my students getting bored or distracted or me not feeling like I was spending enough time on each individual student in large groups. And so I thought I'd try it out to see if it would work for me and my students. That is amazing. I love it. Um, just solving some problems in your SLP world. And now you get to share about it with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so awesome. And then, so it sounds like you already told us a little bit about what convinced you to give it a try, but were there any Like, were there some aspects that you weren't sure about when you started looking into it and where you found those answers? Or was it a pretty easy decision? Um, Like, 
I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that process went. Honestly, I struggled a little bit whenever I started to implement this because I hated to switch all my students over to this model and then find out that it didn't work. And also with it being sort of non-traditional, it made me nervous that maybe my administration wouldn't, you know, want me to be doing this specific model or maybe the parents would be, you know, cautious about me pulling their students only for five minutes at a time working on them with their speech. But once I figured out a way to make it work with my schedule and talk to my administration and parents about it, um, I realized that it really wasn't, it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't too much different than what I was already doing, just shorter sessions, basically. Yeah, and I bet you tried this with a couple students before kind of like making it part of what you, like part of your kind of inventory of strategies to use across your caseload. Yeah, that first year I picked three students, I believe, who only had a few sound errors, maybe one or two, just as a test run. And when I saw how it was working for them, I started moving more and more over. But I would I would definitely recommend starting small with this just to see if it's going to work for you and your students and your schedule and just your school as a whole. Yeah, and I think that really helps guide that discussion with administration and parents and teachers because if you're selling this approach and trying to implement it with everyone on your caseload, but you haven't gotten to use it yet, then it's harder to answer some of those questions and speak from a place of authority or experience maybe would be better. Uh, so I love that, that approach. And I think that can apply to like any type of change we're wanting to make with our caseload or service delivery models or anything like that. So super helpful. Absolutely. Um, and then I'd love to hear a little bit more about the pros and cons of using this approach. So you talked a little bit about um, potentially having to like modify your schedule, which could be a con initially. Um, like what else were was on your pros and cons list when you were getting set up and implementing too? I would say some of my cons or initial inconveniences to getting started with this approach was, like you said, changing my schedule to make this model work. I will say that starting small helped with that because I could sort of see how much time I would need to block off just for three students. Um, but just changing my schedule a little at a time, changing over the IEP service minutes, uh, trial and error with students who are starting out, like trying to figure out who you want to use this approach with and who it might not work with, and then just educating the parents and staff on what this service delivery method is. Um, as far as pros, I definitely have more pros. Uh, I see more increased attention and engagement within the tasks because there's no time for these students to lose interest. It's very quick and they're engaged the entire time. I've seen an increased ability to recall sounds they're working on, whereas previously seeing students once or twice a week, they would sometimes seem to forget the sounds in between sessions. You know, what sound are we working on? Oh, I don't know. And they just kind of pick a sound. But when they're working on it almost every day, it's really hard for them to forget what they're working on. I uh, see more productions per session, decreased frustration, because even if something is hard, I feel like a student can do just about anything for five minutes. 
and they're missing less class and they're sooner to be dismissed, honestly. Yeah, I love that. So many pros and it is definitely challenging to like switch and try something new, but I think if we can remind ourselves of the impact that it can have on students, um, like we can give it a try too, especially using the approach where we start small. Uh, so let in, in terms of helping SLPs get this um, set up with their caseloads, I'd love to dive into some of the uh, cons or challenges that you mentioned. Um, so the, one of the biggest one I think is um, getting administration on board. So what, how did you go about this and what did that look like for you? My best advice is to bring the research to the table when you're talking with your administration. Um, obviously, it's going to depend on who your administration is. And I'm very lucky to have um, a director who trusts my decisions and, you know, what I say I would like to try with my students. She's very flexible. Um, but bring the research because they may say, this is something I've heard others say to me, well, my administration says five minutes isn't going to do anything for these students because they're so used to seeing speech therapists use the traditional 30 minutes at a time approach. Um, I do know that the Speedy Speech and the Five Minute Kids websites have research available that you can print off and bring to your administration. But just be upfront with them so they know exactly what this type of therapy looks like. And really the research is just talking about how short, frequent, intensive therapy can lead to greater outcomes. So you don't have to have the program in front of you to bring to your administration. Just, you know, talking about how those short sessions with lots and lots of repetitions can make a change with students. Yeah. And especially for something like articulation, um, there's some really cool research out there. And I love that uh, we can find, like we can get easy access to kind of summaries and handouts from those uh, sites as well. That makes it even easier. Yes, I um, love it. And so what about communicating with parents and teachers? What has that looked like for you? I feel like I've had a very positive response from parents and teachers alike. The teachers really like it because the students are missing less class and really, they're with me no longer than they would be at a bathroom break for the most part. So they're not missing almost a whole, you know, they're not missing all of science or all of social studies when they come with me. They're just missing five minutes. So they're, they've been very on board with that. They like to see that these students are, you know, really engaged with what I'm working on because sometimes I'll do this in the classroom and they see what I'm doing and they're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you get so much in just five minutes. And parents like that their kids are getting one-on-one -on -one therapy. And that's something that we, you know, don't always offer a lot of in schools. We see most of our students in groups. But even if it's just for a short period of time, parents knowing that their students getting all of your attention a few days a week for a short period of time means a lot. Yeah. And did you have any parents or teachers who were resistant to it at first? I personally have not had any. Um, I came fully prepared <laughs> that I might have some that were upset or worried about just a change in approach. And I get it because it seems like five minutes, like what can you do in five minutes? But I think if you're just upfront with them, especially after you've tried it a few times with other students and you can say, listen, I've seen really great results with this. You know, they're 
your student is missing less class and they're getting dismissed faster, then that's enough to convince most parents and teachers that we're on the right track. Yeah, it's just a matter of bringing that information to the table and not just saying, we're switching to five-minute sessions um, and instead setting up the conversation and sharing the research and what it would look like and just like we would with any other approach. So Yes, I and whenever it. I have that initial meeting where I switch over, I do go over that with the parents and the teacher as to why I want to switch, what I've seen in the past, and you know, I just go over the reasoning. I think it puts everybody at ease. Yeah, and then also just – before we dive into the logistics of like actually getting it set up with your caseload, um, I'm wondering too if you can break down like um, from what you've read in the research or what you've seen in your experience, like who's a good candidate for this approach and maybe who wouldn't be as good of a fit? So like I said, when I first started out, I wanted to test it with my more mild mildly impaired articulation students. So I picked some single error or two error students and it worked really well. So over time, I've learned that it does not have to be just those students. You can work with R students. And I say R is not a single sound error because there are so many different versions of R and it can take so long to fix an R. But those are great students to work on this with. Um, multiple sound error students, phonology, you can use it with your kids who are using cycles because it doesn't have to be five minutes. You can do five, seven, ten minutes for a child depending on what they need. So you could do three ten-minute days and use a cycles approach with these students. Um, I've used it with kindergarten through elementary. I believe my other SLP at my school has used it with high school. And I've used it with isolation through conversation levels. But the one group that I might not use this with would be preschool, just because preschool doesn't always respond the best to drill, 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 especially these new three-year-olds and four-year-olds. Um, I use more of a play-based therapy approach with those students, but I feel like most anybody else, you can, you can make five-minute speech work. That is super helpful. Um, and then it's also like case-by-case case too. Um, like maybe if we're um, like first very like in the very beginning stages of establishing a sound and it's really tricky maybe the student would benefit from a longer session um, but I feel like from my experience that's pretty consistent with that, what I've seen too um, just trying to think if there's any other exceptions but I think you got it um, <laughs> and then so I think we're ready to dive into some more of the logistics. What do you think, Kayla? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So I'd love to dive into how you set this up with your caseload. Um, so do you have any like general setup tips or should we dive into like the specifics of the IEPs? Like what do you think makes the most sense here? Um, just as a general rule, like we already said earlier, I would just start small. That's my best tip because you're going to be so overwhelmed if you start trying to change your entire schedule and all of your IEPs at one time for this. Um, I would say wait until a student's annual rolls around before you change their IEP instead of trying to amend everyone's at one time. But yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then speaking of IEPs, what did that look like when you 
Um, so you said to wait until the annual, so you're not amending them. Um, but then what did you write in the IEP or do you have any tips there in terms of how the five minute kids approach or the speedy speech or just any variation of that would look in the IEP? I know that every IEP program allows you to write different things as far as service delivery times go. For Kentucky, where I work, we have to write how many times we're going to see the student either per day, week, or month, and then for how many minutes. So when a student's annual comes around, I typically write five minutes 12 times a month. And that allows me to see these students three days a week. Um, and that's that can be pretty flexible. You could write maybe nine times a month or 10 times a month if you want to allow some flexibility. But I feel like five minutes 12 times a month has worked well for me. But let's say that you want to do cycles with a child. You may choose the 10 minutes three times a week. Or if a student is working on placement still and you still want to try shorter sessions, maybe 15 minutes twice a week. Or if you can write ranges, which I think would be great, five to seven minutes, nine to 12 times a month, or however you want to write it. Just it doesn't have to be that five minutes three times a week. You can be flexible depending on your student. And I know the manual of five minute kids kind of goes over that too. But again, five minutes is not the magic number. It's whatever works for your student. It's really just short intensive sessions. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point to drive home that because I think we get into our templates of like once or twice a week for 30 minutes. And this could become another template of, yeah, I do five minutes, three times a week. But it's really like we're expanding into these different service delivery models and exploring them because we want to find um, the optimal service delivery time for that individual student. So you're absolutely right. It's not a template and we get to consider each student's individual factors as we're setting this up. So that's perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. And then what about Medicaid billing? I feel like there's a lot of questions about billing with this approach. Yes. Lots of questions. Um, again, I'm very lucky to work in a school who does not force me to write my IEPs based off of Medicaid. Um, I do know that if you you know want Medicaid to reimburse, you can't write five minutes. And some administration may want you to write your minutes more than five minutes just so that you can get that reimbursement. And I understand that. And that's where I say the, the eight minutes, the 10 minutes may be just as beneficial for your student. They're getting a few extra minutes with you and it will meet your Medicaid requirements. So that's a discussion that I would suggest having with your administration before getting started, just so everybody's on the same page and they know that five minutes will not get you reimbursed. 10 minutes will, but still do what's best for your students. So if your students truly need the five minutes, that's a point that you need to really emphasize when you're talking about this approach with your administration. Yeah, and that absolutely makes sense. Um, and think it putting students first and then advocating for them in that way. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of making it work and being a problem solver. We get to be Absolutely. really good at that. <laughs> um, and then what about scheduling? How did you get this set up in your, like in your therapy schedule? So I set up a block of time for three days a week to see my students. I do allow some time for movement. 
because I am going from classroom to classroom, sort of working my way down the halls, seeing these students. So, for example, if you have um, four students who are getting five-minute speech and you're seeing them five to seven minutes each, you may want to schedule 30 minutes just so you have enough time to transition between classrooms, make your way down the hall, and see everybody. Because if you really only allow yourself five minutes, you will get behind. And I have learned that the hard way because <laughs> at first I set up my schedule like, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. And there was no way I could see three five minute kids in 15 minutes, even if they were in the same classroom together, basically. So always allow a few minutes of movement time. But I do suggest scheduling a block just so you can leave your room, work your way down the halls, and then come back to your room for whatever you have to do for the rest of the day. But there will always be some students who don't fit into that block. So the good thing about five-minute speeches, you could always say, okay, well, third grade does not fit in this block. I will see them the first 10 minutes of school, and I will see everybody else in these 40 minutes in the afternoon. There's, there's a way to make it work because it's such a short period of time. Yeah, and I'm curious, like during – what does that block of time look like and like how many time, how many students are you seeing in that amount of time? I probably see 10 students in about mm, maybe an hour because that gives me about 10 minutes that way to, well, I don't know. I don't have my schedule in front of me. <laughs> I think <laughs> I see about 10 students maybe in like 50 minutes. And then I, that leaves some time for me to move down the hall. But I've fluctuated and I've actually dismissed so many students. I'm not entirely sure how many I'm seeing in that block of time because I've actually got to dismiss two of those students just recently. And that helps a little bit. But um, I say, you know, however many students you're seeing, allow about 10 extra minutes of movement time just because you may be walking across the entire school building to see some of these kids or one may be in the bathroom and you have to wait a minute. So just allow some flexibility. Yeah, that makes sense. And then... Um, I'm curious too, like if you have three students in a class, do you just tell the teacher, okay, I'll be here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from like three to three thirty, or do you yes. give each student a specific time? I just sort of give the teacher a block of time, and then I make my way into the room and just call them over one at a time to see me. And a lot of times they'll even go get the next student if we're all in the room together. They're like, oh, do you need so and so? Let me go get them. And so it, it flows very fast, but the teacher knows within about a 15-minute period that I'll be in her classroom. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, of course, I bet that some days everything goes super smoothly, and then other days it takes a little longer. So having that range, I think, is helpful. Yes. Awesome. So totally doable. Um, and then that also reminded me of a question that comes up a lot in terms of student privacy, because if we're doing these sessions are typically happening in the hall or the classroom, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that your students are, you know, not, you're not breaking FERPA because you do want to keep your students' privacy protected and the fact that they are receiving a special education service, um, taking students into the hallway may not always work. Now, if you're in a school where you have a the end of the hallway where no one's coming down and it's a quiet end of the hall, that may be okay. Or if you have some fold-out barriers, I know that we have some fold-out like cardboard barriers we can put up at the end of the hallway to use. 
you can do that. But I also see students in the classroom. I try to go in during a busier time in the classroom. So when they're not doing silent work so that I can just pull them to the back or the side without disturbing the entire classroom for them to work with me. So I see students at a back table in their classroom on the rug. I've pulled them into the library before. Um, just anywhere where I'm not disturbing the rest of the class and the rest of the class isn't disturbing us necessarily. But you don't have to go in the hall. It doesn't work for everybody. And I know that you don't want to, you know, parade your speech students around. So if, definitely if you can find a little corner somewhere to go, just go there. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and then also what, I'm curious what the sessions typically look like in terms of like the structure, the materials, all of the good tips you've got. So this may be my favorite part of five minute speech, besides the fact that so many kids get dismissed. Um, you don't have to plan much for it. You don't have to print off worksheets or bring a ton of flashcards or set up a game. It is usually when I go to five minute speech, it is me my clipboard, and my iPad. And that's about it. So my iPad has all of the apps that I would use for my articulation students for flashcards or reading passages, conversation starters. Um, most of the apps that I use allow me to track my data on them. So I don't really have to bring a data sheet with me most of the time. But I usually keep something just so I can jot notes down for my next, you know, my next session with that student. Um, I use Articulation Station Pro, and it goes from word level to reading passage level, so that covers most of my caseload. I use Little Stories Pro, which has reading level and conversation level, and Super Duper Story Starters, which may be free, I believe, and it's conversation level, um, just fun little topics for your students to work on conversation carryover. But I love that I don't have to bring a cart full of stuff down the hallway. It's just my iPad and my clipboard and me. And I time it on my watch or you can use a digital timer. But if you have an Apple Watch, you can just say five minute timer and it'll start vibrating whenever time's up. Ooh, that is a fun little hack too. I yeah, love that. And my, my students think it's super cool that I talk to my watch. So you earn some cool points doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, and it keeps you on track. So win, win, win. Yes. Yeah, it kind of keeps you from going over too much on time because it is easy when you get in that session just to keep going and going. So I do suggest setting a timer so that you and the student know when time's up, next student, but I'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and then do you have any, so like the student, you grab the student, they sit down with you, you pull up whatever activity they're doing on the iPad then you drill, 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 drill. And then do you have any, like anything that you do when they first sit down or with the wrap up? Like, obviously you say hi and <laughs> check in, yeah. but do you, like, do you frequently share their progress or is there any other like little elements that you think are helpful that you Well, usually in? when we first sit down, I will ask them, what did we work on yesterday? And I mean, 95% of the time, even my kindergartners can tell me exactly what we did the day before, which is a huge win in my opinion, because with the traditional models, they didn't always remember that we worked on R last time or K's last time. So just a quick refresh, what did we work on yesterday? And then sometimes we'll pull up their scores and we'll say, okay, here's how we did yesterday. Let's try to beat that score today. 
then we'll do our drills for five minutes. And then at the end, I let them see their data. Um, and the good thing with articulation station is that it gives a little check mark if they've hit 80% or 90%, whichever one you set it to. So if they see that check mark, they know that they have, like, they're reaching that goal. But even if they don't reach the goal, they can see, you know, if their progress went up or stayed the same or went down from the day before. And they enjoy that. Yeah, that's super fun. And it's so easy to see progress using this approach because they are like it's super fresh. They're practicing it regularly, um, all that good stuff. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then do you ever send home homework or anything like that with this approach when you're implementing it? I usually will send home something. Um, some of these students, if they're having particular difficulty with a certain set of words, I will email that word list to their parents. And Articulation Station allows you to do that. You can pick the sounds they're working on and send an email, I believe, with the flashcards on it to the parents. Um, and I also send home like a monthly little checklist thing of, okay, if you practice your sounds, you know, 15 days out of this month, then you get something. Or if you practice every day this month, you get something. So I do send home a little bit of homework because I feel like if I'm working on it every day, then it should be pretty easy to carry over at home because the students can tell their parents exactly what they're working on. And that's one of the biggest barriers I see to homework is that the parents don't understand how to help their child. But when I see them almost every single day, the student can say, well, here's what we're doing and here's how I say that sound. And it just helps with the carryover. Yeah. And I love that tip that, because I don't think I've used that feature. I love articulation station. Um, I don't think I've used the email feature other than to email myself the report in the evaluation app. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but that's so helpful. So cool. Um, awesome. And that's like, that's so easy. Then you definitely, it's super relevant and you don't need to do any printing. And that's probably easier for parents too. Cause that way, if they're awaiting, I don't know if one of their, if their sibling is in soccer practice and they're just sitting in the car waiting, they can just pull that up, run through some words right. um, and it can just very easily become a routine, which is amazing. I and love you can it. also screenshot it, I believe. And if you if your school uses Remind or Class Dojo, yes. you can send it that way too. So if a parent doesn't have email or doesn't check their email often, most of them will check a text or Remind. So I send it that way too. Just took a screenshot and sent it through Remind, and it's just there on their phone at any time. They can practice anytime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved using that with my caseload. Um, and then in case listeners aren't familiar, what is Remind and Class Dojo and all those kinds of things? Those are apps for parent communication. And I know that most schools adopt some system of parent communication as a whole. It's basically another way to text parents without giving out your phone number to parents. And we personally use Remind at our school and you can send text messages and photos. You can't send videos. I wish you could. I would love to share my students doing their five minute speech with their parents, but you know, you can share the photos of whatever you're working on or take screenshots and send it to parents that way. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and I loved using that with my caseload. Um, it was just, yeah, it was something that the school was already using and, um, I would just have them, like I did send out emails 
just in terms of getting it set up. And I'd love to hear how you did this, but um, I, cause I was new to this school. So I sent out like handouts, like asking the parents to join. Like I set up a class for my speech students and I set it up so that they, the other parents couldn't see other students. So it was, they only could see their student. Um, but I sent that invite out and then some parents responded to that. Um, not everyone did though, but at every IEP meeting, I would bring that up. Um, and I was at, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, title one school. Um, yes, so same. we like, there's, I think they, uh, traditionally get a rap for not having as much communication or less, um, just involvement, but every parent that I talked to about it ended up signing up for it. Um, and we were able to communicate. It just makes, this is a little bit of a digression, but it just makes a really huge impact on student progress. Um, because we're able to just send super quick notes back and forth. It's just like, I don't know what it is, but answering the phone or listening to a voicemail (laughs) or reading an email even sounds like a big chore, but this just feels like a super easy um, little text message. um, And they just respond really quickly. And I've seen it help tremendously with generalization. And I love the tips that you shared of like sending screenshots. And um, yeah, with this approach, it's super easy to um, implement that because it is one-on-one. Right. And you could even say just a quick text to the parent that says, hey, we worked on K this week. Here's some words to practice at home. And like you said, you're way more likely to get this parent engagement. I feel like when you send a text style message to the parents, because it is, it's so quick for you to send it and it's so quick for them to respond. So if anyone is not using one of these programs, I really suggest you look into it because I think you'll be surprised at what the open lines of communication will do for you and your students. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, And then also just a couple other tips. I've heard uh, like some school districts or some schools might not be using an app like Remind or Class Dojo. Um, I've heard of some SLPs using Google Voice and just setting up a number um, and then they can like, because then that way they don't have to share their personal number, but there's a way to communicate and just check with your administration and check with like uh, your confidentiality and all of that. Um, but those are things that I've heard of other SLPs doing just as a way to navigate that. I've heard that too. And I've actually had that before. So I also recommend Google voice. If no one's used that, give it a try. Yeah. And I think it's especially helpful for, um, like EI or like if you're traveling or, or whatnot, because then it's easy, then you don't have to give out your personal number and you can, um, call parents and send them updates just as you're communicating, like scheduling and all that. Completely uh, agree. Uh, so awesome. So thanks for humoring that little digression, <laughs> but I think that's super important. Like if we're, cause we might, if we have, if we're seeing a student for three, three sessions, five minutes per, or three times a week for five minutes. And if we can get the parents to help us, we're, we could essentially be like doubling or tripling are the students' uh, practice time, which would result in much more progress. So this is a very important element of it, and I'm glad we got to dive in. Me too. Um, okay, so another question. Do your students get bored? Because it sounds like it's 
Like it's not any fluff. You just have your – you didn't mention like a bunch of reinforcers or gains. Like you're just running through the articulation apps. Do they get bored? That was a fear of mine when I switched over to this method just because these students that I was using this with were used to getting to leave class, coming in my room, playing a game, getting a reward, and then going back to class. So I was nervous that I might have some pushback from the students themselves because they were no longer getting to come to my room or get these, you know, fun games that we've been playing in my classroom. But I learned that maybe the first couple of times they may say, well, why don't I go to your room anymore? I want to go in your room and play a game. But I just tell them, you know, you're doing so well. This is how we're going to start working on your speech. And I want you to be able to get back to your friends as fast as possible. Um, My students really don't get bored. And I think it's just because the sessions are so quick. There's no time to get bored. Whereas even in the classroom, when you're doing something super engaging, you're going around the table and everybody takes a turn. Student one may be bored by the time you get to student three. Well, in five minute speech, it's just you and that student. And there's no time for boredom because they're the only ones doing all the work. So we still, you know, we still joke around and we still have fun and they love using the iPad. So bringing that is just a reinforcer in of itself. Even if you are practicing flashcards on there or playing a matching game or reading a sound loaded story, um, it's sort of rewarding in in and of itself versus having to get a reward in the classroom. Absolutely. And I think if we are having that discussion with our students and they're really clear on what they're working on, and if we're seeing them that frequently, they're making that progress. So I think being able to see that progress is really rewarding. Like I know that would get me super excited. It's like last week I was at 60 and I got 80 this time. Like I'm getting better. So I think just emphasizing like that progress and mastery um, can be a huge win. And we and don't honestly, need all the extra stuff. And sometimes your students are just excited because they're seeing you more. Like they're seeing you for less time, but they're seeing you almost every day. And they love that. And they're like, oh, I get to see you, you know, three days this week, four days this week, or however often you're seeing them. But that gets them excited too. Just you say, well, you used to only see me once a week for 30 minutes, but now you get to see me three days a week and I'm bringing the iPad and yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> And they get your one-on-one attention. Like how often does that happen throughout the school day and maybe even at home? Like that's that's pretty special. (laughs) Yeah. It means a lot to them. I can tell. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, And then do you ever – like have you ever run into behavior issues or do you feel like the length of the session is just so short that it doesn't even come up? Knock on wood, I have yet to have a behavior issue – And I have used this with maybe, you know, 20 plus students so far. Um, Actually, I'm sure more than that. But I've never had an issue. It's just because the students look forward to working with me one-on-one. Like you said, they love that attention. They don't want to get in trouble. And I tell them, you know, I'm like, we only have five minutes. That's That's one thing I do tell them if they start to get off task. You know, we only have five minutes together today. So let's make the most of it. Let's not be silly, goof around, roll on the floor. Um, and I'll see you again tomorrow, but we have to work hard today. And then that pretty much nips it in the bud right there. Yeah. 
And then another thing too, because when I was using uh, Remind to communicate with my parents, they knew that I would be sending a note to their parents at the end. So I feel like that, like I didn't, that wasn't something that I said often, like, oh, I'm going to text your mom. But I feel like that they just know that I'm going to be having that communication and they know that their teacher is right there too. Um, And it like, it is just so incredibly short that I think all of those factors just combined make it really easy to manage that behavior because it it just ends up being a non-issue. I agree. Okay, awesome. And then do you reward students at the end of the session or what does that look like? I don't always give rewards during five-minute speech just because it's such a short period of time. I feel like, um, you know, they can – they're getting rewarded. I know this sounds – this is going to be controversial because some people believe in stickers every time or candies every time. But I feel like if I'm seeing a student for five minutes – then maybe not a candy for hanging out with me for five minutes and working hard. Um, I will sometimes bring a smelly, which is what I use for some of my younger kids, like a scented chapstick, put it on the back of their hands. But that's usually, that's sort of a rare thing even. It's usually high five, great job, look at your progress, see you again tomorrow. And they don't ask for things. And it could be partially because even when they were in traditional type therapy with me, I didn't really give out a lot of rewards. I was more of a, um, you know, here's a smelly or you can sit in the teacher's chair for the session, that kind of thing. But they don't really ask for rewards. And when they do get one, it's super exciting because they don't come around that often. (laughs) Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, the the reward is in being able to (laughs) spend time with you and make progress towards their goals. And they get to do fun stuff during the session. It's not like you're making them pull their teeth out or anything. Exactly. (laughs) It is not just, you know, straight faced flashcard drill. And I'm talking even kindergartners. So I'm not just talking older students. Even my kindergartners do not necessarily require a reward at the end. It's literally just, you did so great today. Look at how much you went up. You know, maybe you could say, I'm going to text mom and tell her how great you did today, high five, and then we'll do it again the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, And then I loved what you mentioned because I think you, from what I understand, you don't do like a prize box or like the stickers or the candy in general, right? Right. I've stayed Um, away from that recently. (laughs) Awesome. And you have a really great blog post that you wrote. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, as well as uh, the different apps that you mentioned and like any other resources that came up, um, like the links to the programs. Um, and that'll be at slpnow.com slash 44. But I really, I really love that blog post because I think if you are struggling with that and your students are always asking for more stuff and or you're not sure if you want to be spending money on that, like she had, Kayla has a lot of really great ideas. Um, so look for that in the show notes as well. Um, it's a, a really helpful post. Um, and I just love the scented chapstick idea because it costs like one or two dollars and exactly. it probably lasts you forever. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you do that just in case it's not super clear. Um, I have a box of about 20 different chapsticks that I've bought up throughout the different seasons and at Walmart and on Amazon. And 
at the end of a session, if a student you know, worked hard, was nice to others, did their job, then we get a smelly. That's what we call them. And I close my eyes and make a really big deal out of picking out a chapstick from the box. And we talk about what smell it is. And then they all get just a little smudge of it on the back of their hands. And they can smell that for the rest of the day or until they wash their hands. <laughs> but they love it. It's a huge, huge, huge deal. Yeah. And that gets to be a language activity in and of itself because you're working on describing and all of that. Um, yes. So I love it. Awesome. And I love the experiential rewards, like getting to sit in a special chair or... Um, right. And I'd tried the treasure box, but it just, it was more of a, you don't have what I want in there. So I just kind of got rid of that. And now it's more of no shoes or sit in the teacher's chair or, you know, five minutes of iPad time, just something that doesn't require physically buying something and stocking a treasure box that may not even suit all of your students wants and needs. <laughs> yeah. And I would sometimes, like one of the rewards that I would give was like to have lunch with me, which was a surprisingly yes. exciting prize. Um, and I think it's cool too, like we can get creative with how we implement this, like with articulation, like we're working through the hierarchy. So we're from isolation to sound or yeah, isolation <laughs> to uh, syllables and words and phrases and sentences. Um, and maybe we can implement some rewards that way too. Like if you get to the word level or if you master this level, then we'll get to have this celebration thing. And maybe it could be just a scented chapstick depending on <laughs> how long it takes. Um, but right. there's like fun little things that we can do. That's a great idea though. I didn't think about that. Yeah. As they master a level, then the reward comes. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like, I have a little ladder that I print out. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like in all of my students have like a little articulation folder, um, but then we'll use that, like we'll get to color in the levels of the ladder as we move through the steps. Um, and I think it helps to for the students, like to educate the students so they know like what they're working towards and we'll kind of say, and uh, like not all students are going to go all the way to the top of the ladder um, mm -hmm. right away. Like some students take longer than others, but I feel like with this approach, it could happen pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so we it just, moves fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it, but definitely write your goals a little loftier than you normally would, I feel like, with this approach, because if you write just a word level goal, your students are going to surpass that, it seems like, in no time. So that's another thing to keep in mind when you're writing your IEPs. Think bigger than what you may be thinking now, because the progress is going to come faster than what you think. Ooh, that is so exciting. I love that. I wish you could – like we need hacks like this for all of the different types of goals that we write because it's yes. amazing. <laughs> um, I love it. Uh, okay. So let's just recap real quickly. Um, so in terms of some of the like the pros to using this approach, so we've got – maybe we can like round robin it and see how many we can come up with. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, so we've got like increased engagement because of their short sessions and all of that. Is there anything else? Um, increased ability to recall those sounds. They know what they're working on. Yes. Goal awareness. Um, and then rapid progress. Yes. Less time missing class. Yes. And less of that educational impact, which is awesome. Yes. Um, and then 
let's see, what else can we think of? Uh, um, sooner to be dismissed. <laughs> that faster progress leads to sooner dismissal. Yeah. And then um, more impact in the therapy time too. Yes. And, and the one-on-one therapy, which a lot of students, mm-hmm. like you said, they're not getting that most of the time. So one-on-one. Yeah. Anything else? Or do you think that covers the essentials? I think that's the biggest part of it. Oh, and then less prep time too. Oh, yeah. My favorite. I already forgot my favorite. (laughs) I just love that I don't have to prep for those, you know, 10, 12 students or however many you have on it. Just it cuts your planning time greatly, (laughs) greatly. Mm -hmm. You'll love it. Yeah. And it's, I love when those, like those worlds collide where there's less planning and more impact. It's like, <laughs> Could it get any better? <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's amazing. And then for some of the challenges, we talked about um, just like getting it – like the setup seems like the biggest challenge. Um, yes. and, and we talked about how to communicate with administrators, how to communicate with parents, teachers. Um, and then, Just starting small. Like yeah. don't overwhelm yourself. Just start small. Mm-hmm. And go from there with your schedule and service minutes and all of that. Because that is the hardest part is getting everything moved over. But give yourself the year. You know, give yourself that school year to start moving students over. And then the next year, it'll already be set up for you. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then I love the tip that you gave to, um, to like, as you're updating students' IEPs to decide if it would be a good fit for them and then making the change there. Um, and then, um, yeah, and you, there's lots, we can get creative there if we feel like, oh my goodness, this student is not making any progress. We need to make a change ASAP. Um, like we can kind of uh, like problem solve in those situations, but I think that's a good strategy to make it feasible because rolling it out over the course of a year is better than never rolling it out because, it feels like too much of a hurdle. So we can let go of a little bit of our perfectionism exactly. <laughs> um, because it can be hard to think about like, oh my goodness, I want to do this. And I, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it all the way. Um, but I think that's something that was helpful for me. Like at least I'm implementing it with these students um, and then the rest will come. But that's really the most feasible way to make a, a change in any area of our practice. Absolutely. So awesome. I love that. Uh, Okay. And then I think we are, I think that covered, that was a good recap of what we covered. Did you have any other tips for success or strategies that you found to be particularly helpful or just anything else you want to share? Um, Just my biggest tip besides not stressing yourself out, trying to get this started is to When you start to roll it out, like I said, have the research, have those open conversations with the parents, with the teachers, with your administration, maybe even talk to the teachers before the meeting and just say, hey, there's this service delivery model that I'm really wanting to try out with some students. I think your student would be a great fit. And that way, explain it to them first. So when you go into the meeting, nobody's caught, you know, by surprise. And when you talk to the parent about it, the teacher's already on your side. Like they understand your rationale behind it instead of just saying, 
well, I don't understand what you can do in five minutes. And, you know, talk to the teacher beforehand, talk to administration beforehand. And the parents, I think they will be in agreement with what you want to do for their child because you are doing what's in the best interest for their child. Yeah. And I think that automatically kind of shines through when that's the case. So that is super helpful. And I love the tip, particularly if you think it might be a challenge, um, if you let the teacher know up front, I think that could make a really big difference. Um, if the parent will, especially if they have a good relationship with the teacher, they might look towards him or her to kind of see, okay, what's her reaction or what's his yeah. reaction? So if it's a, if she or he is nodding along and they're positive about it, then um, <laughs> I think that can help, especially for parents who you think might be a little more resistant to change or whatnot. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, okay. So that was super helpful. I feel like this was jam packed with practical <laughs> tips and strategies <laughs> to get this started. Um, I love all of the suggestions for really easy things that we can do um, to work through this. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I was wondering if you could share where, like if SLPs listening to this want to find out more about you, where can they connect with you? What's a good place to learn more about your therapy strategies and materials and all that good stuff? You can find out more information about um, how I run my therapy and some of the activities that we do in my therapy room on my blog, which is www.kaylaslp.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, Kayla SLP. And I also sell on Teachers Pay Teachers, again, Kayla SLP. So you can find me pretty much anywhere just by Googling Kayla SLP. But I talk about a lot of this stuff, the five-minute speech, the reward systems, um, lots of good stuff everywhere. So just find me on social media. Awesome. And then I will also – I just remembered that you wrote that post. So I will link to your – if SLPs or listeners prefer to kind of get a readout of some of the – Points that we talked about, Kayla did write a super helpful blog post. Um, so that will also be in the show notes at slpnow.com slash 44. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kayla. This was so incredibly helpful. And thank you to all of you who made it to the end of this podcast for listening in. I hope you're walking away with tons of practical tips and strategies. And that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.